You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. It's masterclass time, and we are joined by Catriona Beaufort, accredited clinical sexologist, psychotherapist, and sexuality researcher. Catriona, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Rebe. Rebe. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here today to talk about this very exciting topic, which is my favorite topic to talk about, to be honest. Of course, that's literally what you do. And it's so interesting that earlier on, we were having a conversation with a boudoir photographer. And we're talking about how empowering it can be for many women to get to feel sexy and confident and love themselves again. Yeah, it, it can be really hard. And, and I think that that's got so much to do with what we're going to talk about today is never having been given permission to explore that side of themselves. But it's so awesome. We're, we're moving really in a, in a much more positive direction when it comes to our curiosity and exploring and kind of experimenting around our sexual proclivities. So let's let's start right at the beginning. And I'm sure in, in your work as a sex, sexuality researcher and a clinical sexologist, um, before we even get to the physical parts, we have to, you know, explore the mind and possibly the history with an individual and how they perceive and view sex. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm not a purist or a one-size-fits-all kind of psychotherapist. So when I'm working with anybody, I'm looking at the biopsychosocial of their concerns, meaning that I'm wanting to understand if there's anything happening in their body that could be contributing to their concerns, what's going on in their mind, and perhaps what's happening socially for them, so their relationship, life stresses, work, family, and so on. And I believe that all of those different elements can contribute to how we experience sex and how we experience pleasure and even just how we experience relationships. And I think it's really underestimated. It's so often we just immediately turn to the medical um, causes or we, we, we think we need to pop a pill, but we really need to view our sexuality as quite a holistic experience that, that you know, we all need to navigate. And if we think about sexual well-being and sexual health, it's not the mere absence of something that isn't right. It speaks to a real sense of, of comfort and freedom and pleasure and curiosity and being able to explore different aspects of your sexuality. But, you know, we're not given that permission. Unfortunately, no one is saying to us as we're growing up, as we're discovering our sexuality, nobody is saying to us, it's okay, you know, this is normal, everybody goes through this, everybody's curious. Unfortunately, it's often shut down, it's often shamed. And one of the biggest issues I, I face with, I would say, almost all of my clients is the emotional experience of both anxiety and shame that crop up in relation to their experience of sex. Mm. Can we can we take a step back um, just in terms of and maybe help us understand whenever a patient or an individual comes to you to say, I, I don't think I'm getting the most out of this experience or I feel like my partner is enjoying it significantly more than me help. What are some of the questions you ask them, particularly with regards to what they believed sex meant when they were growing up or what it represented? I mean, that is such a big part of it. I, I really need to understand each piece of this puzzle and 
the messages that we receive when we're growing up, whether that is from a formal sex education at school or it's informal sex education, so things we hear, things we're exposed to, it's from messages we receive from our culture, from our religion, from our families of origin, from our friends, no matter what it is, that's all contributing to our belief system around sex. And so when somebody comes to consult with me because they're not feeling as happy about their sex life that they would you know, like to feel or they think they should be feeling, the expectations that they have around sex and the model of sex that kind of, well, I call it the blueprint of sex that they have is really crucial for me to make sense of. And there's so many different pieces to that puzzle. And so the way that we think about sex or the beliefs we hold about sex, that can impact the way our body actually responds, the physiolog uh, physiological response that takes place. It can impact the way our psyche and our mind is perceiving an experience. And then again, it can impact how we interact with others or how other experiences and external factors can kind of play on our experience of sex in a less favorable way. Yeah, I actually think, you know, a very good example for, for an individual to sort of get uh, a bird's eye view of the many different ways that people view sex is a series like Sex in the City and I'm talking the first first one and there were so many episodes where you know the partners that the characters would be having sex with would, would bring these things that seem weird but to them were completely normal for example there's the man who insisted on praying with the rosary because sex is bad if it's not there to conceive a child and you're not married and then it just created this environment of like, why is this so stressful? It's supposed to be fun. That, that's that's exactly right. You know, and at the time that Sex in the City came out, it was it was absolutely extraordinary and revelationary in terms of sex being portrayed on screen and the different types of, I, I guess, rituals or rites of passage or uh, fetishes or interests or preferences that people have around sex. And it did a pretty good job at showing a lot of the nuances around sex, especially how, you know, certain things we've heard growing up or certain things that we believe can impact our experience of sex. But it also did wonders in, in liberating, you know, the, the, the female population at the time in, in kind of giving them permission to be sexual beings. So, I must say it, it was a fantastic show in that sense, but we also have come a really long way in the media since then, but we've still got a really long way to go. Yes, yes. And I mean, it, it, would you say from your view, I mean, obviously every person each to their own with how they live and do things, would you say there is a certain point in uh, when it comes to sex and belief systems where there are certain things that are a no and obviously we're not uh, 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 even going to be touching on things that are straight up illegal um, but I mean are there any are there any things or belief systems that for you are a, a no-no for example feeling severe guilt or shame for having an orgasm well absolutely I mean anything that brings about emotions that distress us, such as an act that makes us feel ashamed of ourselves, so makes us feel like we are a bad person, you know, we are, our, our identity is at stake here and we should be ashamed, or things that make us feel guilty, like we've done something bad and we shouldn't have done it, acts that bring about a sense of anxiety and fear and panic, 
anything like that, any kind of uncomfortable, distressing emotion. I always talk to my clients about how, you know, how full is your bed? You know, how many of these emotions are you letting get into bed with you and your mm. partner? Because the more of those emotions that, that pile into the bed with you, the fuller the bed gets, the more difficult it gets to be in the moment, and the more more challenging it is to really be present and be in your body and allow something that's called interceptive awareness to occur, which is where you have a present moment awareness of the sensations you're experiencing in your body. And that's really, you know, that really speaks to letting go. And sex is all about letting go. So the fuller the bed is with these difficult and uncomfortable emotions, the more challenging it's going to be for you to allow yourself to be in that moment with this person or even on your own and thus to let go. Just in terms of some of the common um, challenges that you see in relationships and marriages, um, you'll hear, you know, for example, men will say, oh, my goodness, after you get married, the sex just changes or after a child, suddenly the sex has changed. What are some of the common um, issues that you see, you know, coming uh, to you in your professional space? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a, unfortunately a very, very typical and very outdated uh, narrative, for one. But I, I know that any, any of my colleagues who are listening, couples therapists and uh, sexologists as well, all, for all of us, the number one thing that couples bring to therapy around their sex lives is mismatched or differences or discrepancies in their desire for sex. So the difference between how much one partner wants and how little the other partner wants can cause an immense amount of distress, and that often causes conflict between couples. So that is the primary thing that couples are bringing into the therapy space. But then myself personally, I'm working as well with with couples who are struggling with experiences around orgasm and not being able to have an orgasm or or having an orgasm too quickly. And then I work quite extensively in in the field of unwanted sexual pain, and that has a major impact on couples and the inability to have sex in the way they'd want to, where, you know, sexual intercourse is is impossible because of how painful it is, Mm. usually for the female identifying partner. So, you know, so many of the issues that come up for one person sexually are inevitably going to have an impact on the other partner or the other person in the relationship. And so often it's the distress that exists between them around the issue that will bring them into therapy. But what I guess is really fascinating is there was some research done in in the US quite a long time ago by some well-known, and when I say well-known, infamous couples therapists, the Gottmans. And they speak about how it takes the average couple somewhere between six and seven years to seek help. Mm. Now, if anybody's listening and they're on like month five, seek help now. Because the longer that you wait to learn about what sex really looks like and to have your kind of the way that you've been thinking about sex kind of rewired, so you have to unlearn it and rewire it, and then to help have somebody help you navigate through those difficulties, the longer you wait, the more difficult it gets. Mm. And so couples who avoid these issues, particularly sex, you know, we all do it, but nobody speaks about it. It's yes. always boggled my mind. But I guess, again, that comes down to the messages we receive. So the more that we approach the subject, this thing that is difficult, the better it actually is for us. But we don't. We all avoid it. We all pretend it's going to go away on its own. And I can tell you, 
the longer it stays there, the less likely it is going to go away without intervention. So it's actually better to be proactive about it and together as a couple, not you do this and you do that and try and individually kind of point fingers. It will get better if you face it the sooner you face it. Yes. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm inviting all of you to join on in this conversation. 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. Masterclass. 22 minutes after 2 o'clock. If you have just joined in on this conversation, I hope there are no children around you because we are having conversations of a sexual nature. In our masterclass for today, it's on the sex education you never had with Catriona Beaufort, accredited clinical sexologist, psychotherapist, and sexuality researcher. Now, Catriona, I was thinking as you were speaking, um, you know, about couples and the possible mismatching of, you know, appetite for sex. And I'm wondering, would you consider that as um, a form of not being compatible if one person has, you know, a very high sexual appetite and the other one is almost not interested? No, not at all. And, and I think something that I want to say and really emphasize is that every single couple will experiences but will experience differences in their desire for sex at some stage in their relationship that is 100 percent normal and the research has shown that when couples actually accept that as normal it acts protectively in how they navigate through that time so i think that's just the one thing i want to say but it absolutely doesn't mean that two people aren't compatible if one person desires sex more than the other it simply means that they have differing levels of desire. Mm. And I think the real challenge is that if I have a couple in front of me and I ask them, what does intimacy mean to you? Very often, I'm getting two very different answers. So partner A may say to me, intimacy is taking long walks on the beach at sunset and getting sushi for takeout and doing some Netflix and chill. And the other partner, partner B, may say to me, oh, intimacy for me is whenever we're physical and we have sex. So they are, are missing each other intimately. Mm. And sex is a form of intimacy. But it's, so, it's not necessarily the definition of intimacy. Exactly. There yeah. are so many different ways to be intimate. And, and a lot of couples just focus on the physical and the sexual in being intimate without actually recognizing how intimate they are and compatible, uh, you know, and to use the word you used, in other ways. Mm. So there are lots of ways to navigate when two people have differences in their interest in sex. You don't have to have sexual intercourse to be sexual. There's so many different ways to be sexual. And a lot of people, if they've got a low interest or a less interest in sex than their than their partner, they tend to sometimes avoid physical intimacy as well, so affection, because they're so worried that their partner may think that that's them coming onto them, that they're initiating something. So they avoid physical affection entirely. Mm. And and often there's the other element of it is what kind of sex are people having, and why are they having sex? Because if it's a one-sided situation with why you're having sex, well, of course, you know, partner A isn't going to want to have sex that often. But if if a couple can kind of learn to have sex for different reasons and can expand their sexual repertoire so that it doesn't just include, you know, five minutes of intercourse in their minds, what has to be three times a week, which please, can we please, please throw out the window? It's the most 
it is the lowest, the frequency of, of sex, how often we have sex per week or per month is the lowest predictor of sexual satisfaction. This has been proven scientifically. Wow. It's the lowest predictor. We've got to throw that out the window. And yet, again, if I, if I bring it back to the messages that we've received growing up, we hear things around like, oh, three times a week. We see things on TV of couples just immediately wanting to rip each other's clothes off. That is not what real sex looks like, unfortunately. So we've been sadly sold, and we continue to be sold in a lot of, in a lot of mainstream media, this, this kind of narrative around sex that it's spontaneous, that it happens frequently, that both people are on the exact same page at the exact same time, uh, the people involved in, the, in this you know, sexual activity all have an orgasm. It's a very unrealistic view of sex, and I, I hate to burst anybody's bubbles that, lis- that are listening. I'm very sorry about that. It's just the truth. Mm. So for couples who can learn to expand their sexual repertoire, i.e. not just focus on sexual intercourse, they can also change the type of sex that they're having. And then if they're examining why it is that they're having sex and they can expand their reasons for having sex, then actually the difference between how much one wants and how, le- how much less the other wants doesn't feel as different anymore it doesn't feel as great anymore yeah yeah what i want to do i want us to take a quick call before we head over to news and we will pick up on 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 that very point raymond in johannesburg hi hi it's raymond how are you i'm good go ahead raymond just, just a question to your guest man. Uh, in my case i've got an issue with my wife man um she doesn't want to intimate anymore especially since she had two kids um, and, uh, 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 you know, uh, it's it kind of, I have to push it to happen if I'm lucky once in a month. Mm. Now, I don't know if there's anything I can do to help her, because even if we, we're doing it, you can see she's not there, she's not in the mood, you know? Mm. And uh, before we have kids, there was no such thing. We were enjoying our, mm. our life, like, fully, but now it's kind of uh, a situation for me where I don't want to go out and look for the same thing that I'm living in the house. But then, you know, like once in a month, it's a bit of a strain and the, yes. and the punishment to a man. You know, so I don't even know what to do for her. I mean, you know, I don't know if you're and maybe... Can, can, I, can I ask quickly, wife. Raymond, um, have you had a conversation with your wife about yes, what we, you're sharing? We, we talked about it and uh, she would just say she's not in the mood, uh, she's tired. Mm. So there's a whole lot of excuses. Look, I know she's also working, but I think we're both tired. But I mean, you know, at times you need to just enjoy yes. our relationship. All right, let's, uh, let's hear okay. what Katrona has to say. Katrona? Oh, my goodness, we don't have enough time. However, um, here's the whistle stop tour for Raymond. So, firstly, it is a well-known fact that, unfortunately, having kids is not great for couple sex lives. Um, mm. Generally, in the beginning, especially when kids are young. However... Having children does not mean the end of your sex life. It may mean a changing of the kind of sex that you were having. Um, yeah. I'm really happy to hear that you've been speaking about it because, the, as I said, everybody does it, but no one talks about it. And, again, research has shown us that couples who are openly talking about the sex that they're having or not having and the things that they're experiencing together, they actually yeah. it, it lends itself to higher levels of satisfaction. But there's a few practical yeah. things that I was just thinking about. The one is, is, is your, your partner's sexual, your, your partner's identity. You know, is she wearing her mother hat all the time and really struggling to take off that hat to put on her lover hat or her spouse hat? Is she really struggling to get out of her head as a mom and into her body as a lover? So that's very common for a lot of parents, particularly the birthing parents, you know, in most, most cases, the mother to experience that they are so, 
their head is so filled with thoughts of their children. Well, the children wake up and I've got to do this tomorrow. I've got to pack lunch boxes. I've got to do homework. You know, all of the, the tasks that mm. it can impact her ability to allow herself, again, here's the permission part, to enjoy sex. The second thing mm. is about timing. Stop mm. trying to have sex at the end of the day, okay, after the kids have gone to sleep. I know that that sounds counter, well, you know, not at, after the kids have gone to sleep, but when you're about to go to sleep. After the yeah. kids have gone to sleep, if there's a couple of hours, rather try and engage sexually after the kids have gone to sleep, but not before you go to sleep. Because most mm. couples who try and have sex at the very end of the day, let me tell you, are exhausted. We all live incredibly busy lives. And so yeah. trying to change the timing of when you have sex, okay? Scheduling mm. it, it sounds boring. I promise you it can make a very big difference. And then the final thought that I have for you, Raymond, is around seeking out ways to create sexual connection outside of the bedroom. Because if yeah. if we can focus foreplay outside of the bedroom, and by foreplay, mm. I mean anything that happens between you sexually. So giving her a kiss on her cheek, telling her she looks beautiful, reminding her of her womanhood, not just her motherhood, that can make yeah. a really big impact to her willingness to engage sexually with you. But please keep up this conversation with her and please, you know, be gentle with her, ask her what she needs and and find out how you can navigate this together as a couple. Mm. And Ra- Raymond, as a woman, as yeah. a woman, I'll, I'll say this, there are some things that... Um, partners can do in, in a woman's life that are a turn off and they're sometimes the smallest thing. So I'll just give you an example. Yeah. If, if your wife keeps asking you to put the toilet seat down and then you don't do it and then you want to try have sex with her later, do you understand what oh, I'm yes. saying? So you also, also ask yourself, okay, what am I doing to create an environment that makes it easy for her to say yes? Maybe you yeah. might say, you know what, I see you had a long day today. Let me relieve you of the kids this evening. That makes yeah. a massive difference. But if you're okay. now just like, I'm waiting for you in the bedroom, come when you're done with the kids. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And maybe Amen. even... <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I bought so much chocolate and everything, nice stuff, sweet. And I just tried to attract her more, you know, you know, telling her how, she's, how beautiful she is and all those kinds yes. of things. But, it's kind of a battle for me to get to that point. Please listen to the rest of the show because we are running late. But but take a moment to not, and I'm just saying this as a woman. Take a moment to not say what am I, what I am not getting, and say what can I give. So yes. take a moment to say, be it a massage, be it a dinner date, be it a morning yes. off from being a mom so she can just be a woman. Raymond, thank you so much in Johannesburg. And I'm sure many, many men reflect the feelings that you're having. I'm seeing the messages coming up on the WhatsApp line. Masterclass. All right. We're continuing with our masterclass. It is an, an age restricted conversation. So please, if you're with your children, get them out the room, out the car or switch off the radio. All right. We're speaking to Katrina Beaufort accredited clinical sexologist a psychotherapist and sexuality researcher and we're speaking about permission and pleasure in this masterclass on the sex education that you never had now katriona you know i know that we're laughing at these situations that i was saying to raymond earlier about like you know a man having timing about when he's asking for certain things and also looking at how he's giving a woman or his partner or the mother of his children an opportunity to just be herself. There is a WhatsApp that came through here that says, hmm, 
When you're done in the kitchen, I'm waiting for you in the bedroom. No, go DIY. I'm not your Makoti. Men are so unromantic users and still wonder what happened to the sexy Makoti that fell in love with him. 20 years ago, he killed her. Lazy, rude, selfish, unhelpful. Men become so unsexy. What are your thoughts on that, Catriona? You know, I, 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 firstly, I think you could do an excellent, excellent job at doing my job. Should you ever want to change careers, <laughs> um, the advice you gave Raymond was really top notch. Um, but I, you know, I actually, I was thinking about a study that was released in 2021, which was a pretty phenomenal study done by extremely reputable researchers that found that when there is an inequitable division of labor in a household, it negatively impacts a woman's interest in being sexual. Mm. So. Your suggestions of, you know, putting the toilet seat down or, you know, I'll put the kids to bed tonight or I'll do the dishes. You know, why don't you go out with your girlfriends? That is foreplay for a lot of women, particularly a lot of mothers. So, I, I you know, that's now been backed up by, by clinical evidence. So I want to just, you know, emphasize how important it is not to just think of sex as sexual intercourse or intimacy as sexual intercourse, but to expand your repertoire and the way you flirt and the way you, you kind of carry out foreplay. Um, you know, when we've been together a really long time, we've seen each other go to the toilet and fart and brush our teeth and, you know, we've put on weight, we've lost weight, we've gone through a pandemic, we haven't cut our hair, we haven't shaved. We've seen each other in a very unsexy way. And that's completely natural. You know, we can't, as I call it, peacock around each other for the rest of our lives. It's exhausting. Mm. The amount of effort that we, we went to and we put in at the start of the relationship, you know, we think sex and our desire for it is spontaneous at the start of any relationship, but it's not. You are shaving your legs, you are putting on perfume or cologne, you are putting on your best jeans, you are planning to get lucky. That is what you're doing. You are not being spontaneous about having sex. You are planning to have sex. So even even at times when you think you're being spontaneous, spontaneity is always the result of careful planning. So for so many couples, the longer they've been together, the less peacocking or the less effort they put into flirting and foreplay and connection. And yeah, as time goes on, expectations are that because you're my partner, you're just going to show up for me sexually. That doesn't doesn't cut it. It doesn't work. We do actually need to put effort into this aspect of our relationship. And the kind of effort that we put in at the very beginning is different to the effort that we put in before kids, is different to the effort we put in after kids, and so on and so forth. And let me tell you, you know, really, Bukhile, if, if sex was easy and just happened like that, I wouldn't be speaking to you. I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> but my practice is completely full. Yes. Of, it's full. I run a wait list. You know, I've shut the practice for the year. I have colleagues of mine in Australia, in South Africa, in the UK, who are all fully booked and run wait lists because sex is not happening the way we are taught, the way we thought it should happen. And that's the biggest problem, mm. that our expectations of what sex looks like are not matching up to our realities. And we really need a massive re-education around what real sex looks like. And then we won't have these massive disappointments, massive resentments, massive frustrations all the time. And when we do have them, we'll be better equipped to navigate them. Yes, yes. Let's quickly take a caller. We've got Simon in Midrand. Hi, Simon. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. And you? I'm good. Um, yeah, I've got a very sensitive question here. Mm. There's many layers in it, but I'm going to try and simplify it. Um, 
the first question is, is it possible that one can be born with um, an early ejaculation problem or any type of sexual problems? Because um, in my case, is um, since I was um, since I was on my teens when I started having sex, I've never really have been able to go up to the second round, as we say it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And um, even um, my first round as well doesn't really last more than two minutes. Um, and it's been like that since I've, 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 I've got kids now, um, beautiful girls. But um, still, um, that, that's the case. I don't go more than a, uh, two minutes, to be exact. It's mostly less than that. And afterwards, I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm not able to get it up again. Mm. All right, let's... let's um, men's um, marriage clinic. I sought for help. They said there's nothing wrong because I can still get it up. Yes, I can get it up, but that's, that's just about it. Yes. Um, Katrina, I, I, I'm sure that this also falls very much within the men's health side as opposed to the sex size side, but do you have um, maybe some feedback for Simon? Yeah, and, and Simon, thank you for your, your kind of vulnerability and authenticity in, in sharing your story with us, because I imagine that that wasn't easy mm. to, to share about yourself. Um, you know, whether it's men or women, when our experience of sex doesn't match up to what we've been told or what we've heard or what we've seen, we tend to think that there's something wrong with us. And I want to say to everybody listening, your normal is normal. That is normal. So if we're going to quantify normal, it's according to what your experience is, not what you see on pornography or what your friends telling are telling you they're doing. But for somebody like Simon, you've got a, a level of distress around the way that you experience sex. So for me, it's very difficult to hear that somebody's been told there's nothing wrong with you because, mm. sure, physically there might not be anything physically wrong, but psychologically you are not happy. And that is a problem. And the unhappier you are, the more that kind of perpetuates the cycle, the more that contributes to more anxiety that it's going to keep happening the next time and so on. And you asked a question at the beginning, can you be born with a sexual issue like like climaxing too quickly, premature ejaculation? Unless there is some something physiological that is happening with your genitals, mm. then no, you, you, you aren't born with a sexual issue. It's generally a learnt response. Mm. And so for a lot of men or women, the way that we experience orgasm for the first time, the conditions on which we experienced orgasm, whether that was when we were a teenager and we were touching ourselves or when we were adults with a partner, it can condition our brain to expect something. And then we hear, you know, oh, porn stars, they have sex for 30 minutes. FYI, they don't. Um, uh, you know, it, it can make us feel abnormal. So I want to suggest that you actually reach out to a sexual health practitioner, uh, preferably somebody who is with a psychological background. But, you know, even for, for men who climax too quickly, there are certain medications that can help delay climaxing. And just with regards to how many rounds of sex people can have in general, you know, not everybody can have more than one round of sex in one night, you know, whether you identify as men, women or otherwise. Some people, it's just one one round, one night, and it's fine, mm. you know, and they're okay with that. But again, the expectations we place on ourselves based on the messages that we received can cause us to experience the distress around it. Mm. All right. We need to take a quick break. We'll continue when we come back. 
And we are continuing with our masterclass. Please keep your kids away from this conversation. It is all about the sex education you never had. We've been speaking about pleasure and permission. And many people have started raising some of the challenges that they have in their relationships. Tembi says, foreplay could be just peeling the veggies with her when you both return from work. Just laying the table, running the bath for her. Gentle oil massage, sometimes at the end of her day. Done with intent, the latter could yield rewards is what Tembi says. Another one says, for me, back to basics, no other differences in bed and involve kids in these topics because they will learn it anyway and in a wrong way. Another person says, my problem is my, I'm not sure if they're saying my husband and I have lost had sex in January and my partner doesn't want to see me hmm, again, but we talk about sex and other stuff every day. But when we're supposed to be together, I'm so confused. Please, can you resend this message? Because I'm confused about who's who, and I don't want to misread what you have sent there. But very quickly, we have a voice note, uh, Catriona, and uh, hear what he has to say. Hey, Kilobahile, I never thought I'll send uh, contribute in such a conversation before. But uh, you've made a, such a very good point to the gentleman who called. Um, someone like me who's married uh, to uh, a woman whose love li- uh, language is um, acts of service. I've seen it uh, doing wonders uh, compared to before. Uh, the more I get involved in house chores and all that, um, you know, the more I see the benefits in the bedroom. So, yeah, um, and it took a while. It really, really took a while because I just didn't understand. But uh, we're getting there, and uh, I'm so repeating the, you know, the rewards. Tawang here. Thank you so much for that. So, Katrina, I mean, this is a very, and I'm sure, uh, as you said, you are aware of some of the common problems that couples are facing when it comes uh, to sex. There's another one that says, I feel like we are over-engineering natural pleasures. The whole showing up for sexy thingy, just the word usage is coined to instill unnecessary tiptoeing and if couples will never feel free with each other, where's the spirit of sacrifice and compromise? Sex desires and pattern differs from men to women. So what is this showing up phrase supposed to address? Oh, I find that it's a little bit complicated with that, that message. But, you know, again, sex, sex does not just happen. It takes effort. But so many people are fearful of it becoming clinical or becoming kind of scripted if if they schedule it or if they are a little bit more intentional about it and it's just it's not what's going to happen mm. and you know I, I the amount of pleasure that we can experience you know a colleague of mine speaks about sex that a place is is, is a place that we go to which i think is so beautiful it's it's not this thing that we just do because when it's this thing that we just do it takes all that playfulness and creativity and freedom out of it but when we think of, play, uh, of sex as a place that we go, my goodness, it adds so many more nuances into how we can experience this, this really fantastic, wonderful aspect of being human that unfortunately so many of us just shut down, so mm. many of us just tap out of, so many of us feel resentful about or anxious about. So there, there, there's so much that needs to go into the effort, the intentionality, the creativity, and the play that we can bring about sexually. 
but also we need an awareness that there's a lot we are exposed to and a lot that we can experience, especially in a couple, that can shut that all down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as we are wrapping up our conversation with the last couple of minutes, what would you say some of the very key pointers um, we need to walk out of this conversation with? And I think I loved what you were saying about you know, giving oneself permission to actually enjoy, um, to experience pleasure, to let go. Yeah, I mean, if if you've ever heard me speak, if you've listened to my podcast, watched my mastery class, if you've ever interacted with anything that I've ever done, I mean, I must sound really dull now because it's the thing I punt 24-7. Yes. We have got to move away from the the narrative around sex that so many of us grow up with, which is around um, is around pressure and 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 unfortunately around uh, shutting ourselves down sexually. And we need to move towards sex that is about pleasure and permission. We need to say to ourselves, it's okay if I don't want sex five times a week like I think I should, because that's normal for me. And it's okay if I want to have more sex with my partner. That's okay, and I need to navigate that with them. And the more that we allow ourselves to engage with our own experience of sexuality and allow ourselves to engage with somebody else's, you know, usually our partner's experience of sexuality, we're opening up that door to so much more pleasure because that pressure we place on ourselves to perform, to show up in a particular way according to a particular script, doesn't do any favors to our sexual satisfaction at all. And of course, Catriona's amazing wisdom and knowledge you can find with her My Mastery Sex and Intimate Relationships online masterclass. You can find them on Facebook, uh, My Mastery TV, Instagram as well, My Mastery TV, Twitter as well, My Mastery TV, as well as LinkedIn. And you don't just get her, you get a whole lot of other experts and gurus that you can get some online classes uh, for. Catriona, thank you so much for this conversation. And I feel terrible that we didn't get an opportunity to tend to all of the messages and the WhatsApp questions that came through with so many people facing the challenges in their relationships. But but from just a woman and not an expert, I would say start by talking. Start by talking. And I don't know, Katrina, if, if you um, uh, uh, agree with, with what I'm sharing, but sometimes people don't even talk and then making assumptions and acting on assumptions and then it just becomes too too much. So I would say start by talking. That is our fantastic guest, Katrina Beaufort, accredited clinical sexologist, psychotherapist and sexuality researcher.